The Lord will continually empower us to pour out offerings of incense for our nation. If we are not doing it for ourselves, then let's labor because of our children. In order for God to secure for us a nation that can be conducive for the administration of his purposes in the days to come. Turn your Bible to the book of John chapter 15. We were dealing with a subject of fruitfulness. Dealing with a subject of fruitfulness. And I'd like to bring one or two thoughts to us during the course of the teaching this evening. I said previously that when we talk about fruitfulness, we are not talking about the achievement of human-based goals. We are not talking about the attainment that is according to the ratings, the markings of ambition. When we talk about fruitfulness, we are talking about yielding to God and finding alignment with God until God can conveniently begin to manifest through us the things that he has so desired to manifest. Are you with me? You know, when you go to the farm and you cast a seed to the ground, there's an expectation that you have. Because it's in the light of your expectation that you weed the farm. Because when you cast your seed into the ground, you are going to find so many other crops will grow in that land. Such crops that you did not plant, you find them germinating. It is because of your expectation as touching the seed that you have planted that you come to weed the farm. What you are saying is, I did not plant you. How, how did you come here? How did you get here? Why are you fighting for the resources with the tree or the plant that I planted? So you are reading the soil of the competition that is created by unauthorized plantings. Are you with me? Even so, what God did to us is that he sowed a seed in us. And the seed that he sowed in us is in the measure of the person of the Holy Spirit that we carry. It is expected that that investment that came upon us will bear some unique fruit. And the unique fruit it's supposed to bear is not a, it's not a general fruit. It's not, it's not our fellowship fruit. It is a fruit that is consistent with your calling, with your purpose, with God, what God has ordained you to be before his presence. Hallelujah. Some live and die as Christians and never get to bear this fruit. What I'm trying to make you understand today is that in every vessel of any believer whatsoever, God has a different story that is telling through that vessel. And your life is supposed to bear fruit according to the grace that God has made available to you. That means in this context, you are unique, you are in your own class, 
And if you yield to God, we will find the story that God is telling through your vessel. If you don't get to yield to God, God will not have the opportunity to pioneer what he intends to manifest through your life. So your life will be without a construct. It will be without a true identity because you did not afford God the opportunity to bring into manifestation such things as he has walked into you by the Holy Ghost. Now, it is needful for us to understand uh, the terminologies that are used in this scripture. The whole texture of this scripture is agriculture. And we are going to hold that shape of interpretation throughout uh, the scriptures that are within this neighborhood. If by any means we change that tone, we are out of context with the presentation because the layout carries an agricultural shape. So what we have in verse 1 is definition of terminologies. I tried to handle that in the previous lecture. I don't know how good a job I did, but uh, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And I told you the reason why the word true was used actually in Greek language. The um, original word that was translated true in Greek should be better rendered real. I am the real vine and my father is the farmer. Now the reason why Jesus called himself the real vine, just like I said in the last lecture, is because we have false vines. And it is needful for us to understand the treachery of false vines. <laughs> These false vines are seeking your attention to become the instrument, the conduit through which falsehood can take root in your life so that your life will bear false fruit. And I'm going to show you a situation of false fruit. And this false footing is tied to the fact that instead of you abiding in the real vine, you now decided to abide in the false vine. And the way we will know this is the kind of fruit that you bear. Now give me Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 5 verse 1 on the screen. Let me read if my, amen. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that he should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth, what? Wild grapes. Now, so the situation we have here, <laughs> hallelujah, is what happens when you latch onto the false fire. So Jesus is saying that I'm the real vine. 
But it is possible for you to join yourself with the false vine. And the only way we will know that you have joined yourself to the false vine is in the kind of fruit that you bear. Should I prophesy to you? You will bear fruit. You see, you were quick to answer because you don't know the depth of scripture. That's not a prophecy. Are you with me? It's going to happen. But this you will bear fruit also contains the possibility of bearing wild grapes. I'm saying you will bear fruit. Whether you like it or not, you will bear fruit. But the kind of fruit you bear will not be a result of prophecy. It will be a result of what you decide to abide in. So the first, the first caution that Jesus reveals to us in the scripture is the possibility of a false vine, a false support, a false inspiration, a false goal, a false objective to be placed on your heart and it becomes your driving force. I'm going to show you a few scriptures and I'm taking my time because I found out that this matter is very deep. Meanwhile, as my culture is, as a scholar, when I am reading a scripture, my first instinct is to have a very rich library, have all kinds of stuff. And I found out that in the Christian faith, they, um, our brethren in the 18th century in the 17th century, in the 15th century, were more true to Jesus than current writers. So my library <laughs> is filled with ancient <laughs> stuff. In fact, such stuff that you will not even find again on the shelf. I, I, I found favor with some people and they began to send me those ancient stuff. So when I gave myself to study this ancient stuff, I found the purity of the Christian faith and the witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in those materials. So they are my source materials. So you know what? Anytime I'm challenged with a need to, to study something from the Bible, my first instinct is to run to this wealth of knowledge captured in these books and Sometimes I'm, I get what I'm looking for. Sometimes I get frustrated because I don't quite find. Yeah, I see some stuff there, but it doesn't strike the chord of the longing in my spirit for truth. So I know that in those cases, I will need to do the traditional thing, which is to sit before Jesus and ask him questions and pray until he comes then he becomes, he starts opening the scriptures. I assure you, this matter of bearing fruit is one of those studies <laughs> that I had to sit with Jesus. You know, it, it's, it looks easy. I am divine. Just say, I understand that. Just calm down. Hallelujah. I had to sit with Jesus for long hours in prayer. He normally comes in the evening. So if I start praying in the morning, exercising my spirit, Afternoon, evening is likely to come. Then he begins to unravel the scriptures. So many of the things I teach you are original from Jesus. Many of them. Many of them. And that's why the, the texture 
it's, it's strange. It's not a product of um, a conference, a believer's conference. <laughs> it is from Jesus. So the first thing he highlights here is how that he is the true vine. We will come into these matters more deeply. I just decided to read the book of Isaiah chapter 5 so that you will see that this farmer, this farmer did all that there is to do in order to ensure that the, in fact, he even built the wine press there because he was expecting bountiful harvest so that he can start making, what do they call it? Chivita. Yes. He had already, every, the factory was set up. He was just waiting for the vine to begin to produce, and then he will begin to bottle Chivita, of all kinds of, yeah, he had, the, the business was structured. Then when he came, during the time of fruitfulness, he checked and he found that there were wild grapes. There were wild grapes. It was in the fruitfulness that he discovered the sort, the type of vine that it was. Are you still with me? So, come with me. So he says, I'm, I'm the true vine, and my father is the farmer. Notice in verse 2, you will see the father's effort. The father has an eye for fruit. The father is poised to trace fruit. And just in case the father realizes that you are fruitless, even though you are on the tree, what he will do is that he will ensure that you do not take up the resources meant for fruitful branches. Are you with me? He will ensure that. And I will show you, there are many ways to achieve that. If you know uh, crop production, there are many ways to achieve that. Uh, grafting, you, 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 you graft, you can prune, you can do all of that just to ensure that the dead branches, the branches that are not economically viable, are extracted and taken out of range so that they don't mop up the resources that is intended to galvanize the fruitful branches. Now, this husbandman has an eye for fruit, a very powerful eye, and he... He is good at inspection. And I told you the other day that there is a grand inspection that he conducts around every life, every year. So whenever you celebrate a birthday, before you go on Facebook to put your picture, you need to appraise yourself by yourself and ask yourself how much food you are bearing. And just in case you forget to ask yourself, be it known unto you that God is asking that question. So he comes around to check if there is any hope of fruit from your life. There is something he has sown in your life through his spirit and he's expecting to reap a harvest of that which he has sown in your life. In fact, he is, he is bringing you the nutrient of grace He's supplying you the, the, 
the nutrient, the fertilizer of grace to ensure that that fruit, that it, that seed it cast in your life will begin to bear fruit. You see, I was born in Tamara. You have heard this, my story, millions of times. I was born in Tamara. So, in my mind, you, you are not supposed to say that Tamara is a preacher. You are the creator. You allowed me to come up as Tamara. And then you are now saying that part of the fruit you want my life to bear is the fruit of the teaching ministry. How does that work? See, as I kept working with him, there was an investment that God made in my life that was superior to what was responsible for my stammering. And as long as God was watering and providing fertilizer and nutrient to that seed that he had sown, a time came where the prayer point was no longer help me overcome stammering. The, the, the seed naturally overcame the resistance to bear fruit. Hallelujah. I remember, I remember some time ago, um, the Lord came to me and said, are you aware you are going to teach Africa? So go and study my word so that you can become the teacher of Africa. He told me that. So it means that that fruit is an expectation that God had in light of some investment that he has made. So when we talk about fruit here, we're not talking about evangelism. Even though we, we are not, yes, uh, the evangelist knows how to apply this scripture in an evangelical way. And we do not want to rob him of the evangelical use of this scripture. But the emphasis today is not the evangelical use. It's the organic, the organic application of the matter in question. So God was expecting that a time will come based on the seed he has sown in my life that he wants to reap the harvest of a teacher of Africa. I remember the first time I went outside of Nigeria to preach the gospel, I went to one country in Southern Africa. I don't want, I don't want you to know the name. In the Southern African region, a very poor country, I went to preach the gospel. Because the Lord said he wanted me to go there to preach the gospel. So that was the first international exposure I was having. And this was 2009. So when I got to the place, it was, they had a minister's conference. And I stood there with my Bible and I taught for three hours. After teaching for three hours, the pastors, the senior pastors had a meeting at the side. And then they came back to me and said, you know what? You came for a conference, but we don't need a conference. What we need is a school. We'll give, get a house for you. You come here and stay for six months, and then you take us through the Bible. I said, unfortunately for you, I, I feel your burden, but you see, I'm still uh, not in full-time ministry, so the possibility of uh, coming to stay among you to teach the scriptures does not exist. I will try as much as possible to come when I am free. Then, that was when I discovered in 2009 that Africa needed a teacher. 
And that was in, in sync with what Jesus told me to prepare myself for. He was expecting a teacher for Africa. And he was expecting me to bear that fruit. And on my trip to South Africa, I, I think I've started bearing it. Yeah. I started. <laughs> started bearing that fruit. But God is a God of vision. And there is something he put inside of my life for which he wanted a harvest of the, a teacher of Africa. So the story that God is telling through my life now on the account of the fruit that is beginning to come forth, I'm even understanding the investment in terms of the seed that God sowed into my life. Much more, as I see, is manifestation. So God is telling a story through my life. How that we will be slaves if we are not disciples. How that we need the operating system of the counsel of God in order to take the, an accurate shot at life and destiny. That's the story he's telling through my life. So the point is, what is the story that God wants to tell through your vessel? And I want you to understand this. Hey, hey, hey. Are you, are you there? I want you to understand this. When we talk about fruit, there are some words you should not mention. And I'm going to show you those words. The moment you begin to mention those words, your emphasis is not fruit. Your emphasis is not the real vine. Your emphasis, you are drawing an emphasis that is coming from a false vine. When you talk about fruit, it is not something you can manufacture in a hurry. You see, that's why you need to be sure that you are in league with the true vine. Because when the fruit begins to manifest, you cannot reverse it instantly. And when God comes for inspection, he doesn't come to inspect the leaves that you can produce and keep. He comes to inspect fruit. And fruit takes time. How many years does mango take to fruit? Pastor Tony, you used to know all these things. How many years does mango? You know, you don't need to stand up. You don't need to stand up. How many years does mango take to fruit? Mango. Depends on the, the breed. Okay, somebody house. brought one mango, small mango tree into my house, and then we planted it. And we watered and waited for long. And then when the mango became, it became over big to produce nine fruit. And when we investigate the fruit, they are all spoiled inside. The leaves, you need to see how bogus. Have you, have you, did you eat any 100% whole food from that tree till today? Have you eaten? You have? That means you have been at, okay, I'm not at home. Mm. Now, you see, it took time before he began to fruit. And when he began to fruit, the, the fruit revealed a very deep disappointment. You can't just reverse. When Jesus comes for instance, it means your life will actually fruit. So when I prophesied, you will be a fruit. You say, amen. You are not here. You don't understand what I'm saying. Your life will fruit. But it will either fruit on the basis of the support that comes from the real vine 
or it will fruit on the basis of the support that comes from the false vine. So the Lord was opening my eyes to see that there are actually choices of vines that you can make. There are alternatives apart from him. And that's the reason why he's counseling us to abide in him. Meanwhile, we have not gotten to the place of abiding yet. So this husband man has an eye for fruit. So when he comes to the branches, what he's looking for is the fruit. And the Bible says that every branch in me that beareth not fruit, the gardener will take that branch away. And I give you that scripture as a further study scripture. What does it mean that he taketh away? How many of you studied it? Nobody studied it. Okay. So, yeah, Pastor Ken, I think Pastor Ken studied it. Pastor Ken, what's the meaning of that scripture? Pastor Ken, come up, come up. Come, come into camera range. You may not come on the platform. You can come here, come, come here, so that they can see your face. You know, I'm the only one they see. So, they will see Ken too. So, what's the meaning of he take it away? So this husband man has come for inspection. He couldn't find fruit. And then he says that the verdict for that branch is that he's going to take away. So what does it mean when God says, I'm going to take this branch away because the branch has failed to produce fruit? Yes, that's okay. Uh, from my understanding, he take it away. Um, is it dead? Is it that he will kill him? No. Okay. He will, he will lift the burden of that person and place it on another. He will lift the burden of bearing fruit from that person. And that kind of fruit. That kind of fruit. And then he will place and the burden upon another. There will be a replacement. That's number one. Now, this man, yes, you studied it. All of you just went home and you refused to study. Do you, do you, do you realize? Let me give you an idea. Are you there? I pray. That you will not be lost in the crowd. That your deal with God will be so strong and your convictions will be so strong. That you will not need supervision to stay focused. I was praying, how many years ago now? It's like 12 years ago. I was praying in my house. Please, Ken, sit down. Ken, sit down. You have not finished. I was praying. No, leave the mic with him. He has not finished. We will still get your response. I was praying in my house some time ago and the Holy Spirit fell upon me and I fell under the anointing. You must have known, noticed that if God imparts me, my typical experience is that I don't fall under the anointing. But I received the impartation. And I know, I know how it feels when you receive an impartation. So that's my typical experience. But this time I was praying alone and the presence of God came upon me and I fell down. When I fell under the anointing, I was just alone. Then he took my spirit. Then he took me into the past. And he showed me three pastors. He said, the mantle that I'm preparing you to carry, which is what I'm carrying now, it is even because of that mantle that our ministry became global. It's the mantle that made it to. Well, uh, for those that understand what I'm saying, that's what I'm saying. So, 
There were three pastors. He said, these are the men that will carry this mantle before he comes to you. They'll carry it for a short space. Showed me the first one. Showed me the second one. Showed me the third one. So, one of them is dead. One of them is dead. So I was a watchman. You know, when God shows you things that come to pass in a particular city, in a particular territory, it means he's bringing you into deeper fellowship with him because he's sharing secrets with you, confers upon you the responsibility of a watchman. Even though God said those things, you will need to midwife their manifestation through prayer. (laughs) Hallelujah. All right, so that's what it means to be a watchman. You are looking at manifestations and you are comparing it with what God told you that will come to pass. When you begin to say contrary things, it means there's another womb that is producing, apart from the womb of God. So you will need to rise up in the spirit and begin to make barren. The other wombs that are producing things contrary to the counsel of God. And it will be in the womb of intercession that the the things of God will be incubated and bettered. So God was showing me that he was bringing me in as a substitute. So I'm not the original person that is supposed to be doing what I'm doing now. Something happened to the original person. In fact, when heaven took me through the process, there were six tests that I had to pass, and uh, which I will not say now. There were six tests I had to pass, and all the tests were arrayed before me in normal life circumstances and situations. And when I passed the six tests, I was in prayer again in my sitting room. This time I was not alone. I was with a few people. And then the angel of the Lord came to me and took my spirit. And he took my spirit and we went on a trip. This time it wasn't too far away. He showed me this same city. So I now asked the angel, hey, where are we? He said, this is your city. I said, no, this is not my city. I was born here. So I know this city. I know every part of the city. He said, this is your city. I said, all right. What part of the city is this? He didn't answer that. Why am I here? He said, okay. What are you seeing? These are dried leaves. He said, look again. I went there. I removed some of the leaves. I saw it was crude oil. You know, I worked in the oil industry. Even in my dream, I can identify crude oil. So I now saw an oil well covered by dry leaves. He said, this oil well is the resources that I hid in this land to support those men. But they were not faithful enough to come to a point where they will be qualified to tap for me. That's why dry leaves have covered it. Now, I brought you here because you are going to be tapping from these resources now. It is from that, those resources eh? that we built this place. I had this encounter before we began to explode financially as a ministry. Are you, are you following? So what I'm saying is that I am not the original carrier of this month. There was a foot God was expecting 
some other people to bear, and because they did not bear that fruit, God did some, hmm, had uh, some what? Some take some taking away exercises. So I am I am a first hand witness of what it means for God to take away. The people are still alive. They are still in ministry. Only one of them is late now. They are still in ministry, doing very active ministry, but they can no longer bear that fruit because God has reallocated the, the resources in terms, in measurements of grace that is required to bear that fruit. He has reallocated it to someone else. The moment the reallocation came, and it will interest you to know that the first set of six angels that came to blow the shofar, they blew the shofar on the 19th of, of August 2019. You know, it's not everything we see on the pulpit. It's not every encounter we have that we bring to the open. Some are supposed to be secret because it's not for public consumption. So those angels, had they came and blew... The, the trumpet, there were six of them. Oh, the season now changed, and the forthcoming season was compelled to travel with our voice from this ministry. It is from the 19th of August 2009 that our voice began to go to the nations of the world. The reason why the voice traveled was because that mantle had found a career. May the grace that God has ordained you to carry not be reallocated. There's not, you are not following me. Are you, if, it, if I say somebody will have a message, Benz, the way you will say amen. I know the way you say amen. Are you there? All right. I was there when some of the senior ministers in Nigeria told this, a story of a man that Bonke finished preaching in a conference, and I don't know what nation that was, and then a black, one black pastor then began to weep. And that was not weeping because he encountered God. It's a weeping of regret. So they asked, what, what's going on? Say, this anointing this man is carrying, I was the one that was supposed to carry it. But it was re- reallocated. And given to a German. And it is that mantle that made that man a chieftain of authority. He transversed nations and cities, and there was no power that was able to resist him. So this God is so is so desperate for fruit that if he comes around your life and he sees that you are not making any effort to be the vessel that can bear that fruit, the thing is this he must get his fruit. This gardener. You know, the other day we planted some stuff and then we went to check the yield. The yield, it was poor. The thing, oh my God, it was a mistake for us to have planted because it did not yield properly. This gardener, this farmer, he must get, he doesn't plant and uh, miss. There's nothing like lack of yield for this farmer. He must get the fruit that he wants. The, the thing is that the branches will change. But <laughs> I tell you, he will get and it is a privilege to be a branch that this farmer will come and find fruit upon 
He has an eye for fruit. If the leaves are beautiful and wide, and you think that maybe the leaves will catch his attention for a while, he doesn't notice leaves. He has an eye for what? Fruit. Are you there? He has an eye for fruit. So, um, Pastor Ken, you gave us one point there. He says, if God comes and he doesn't see the fruit he seeks, he's going to reallocate the resources to a fruitful branch. So, can you, do you realize, therefore, that in the kingdom of God, the real definition of promotion is more work? How many of you were still here when we were operating from that small place in Wurukum? How many of you were here? All right. So when more promotion came, what happened? For those of you that were there from the beginning, you saw a, small, a little promotion came. They started inviting me to preach the gospel in different churches in this town. When another level of promotion came, we started traveling to preach the gospel. And I tell you the truth. I have gone around Nigeria about six or seven or eight times. Yeah. Some of you, I know your villages. I've gone to deliver people in your village. If I start the stories about villages in Benue State, the highlands of Oupa, that I went to preach the gospel, and someone rose from the dead. I've not told my stories because I don't have permission from God. To tell. I have dramatic, dramatic stories to tell about the power of the gospel. I've confronted people that are carriers, mediums, mediums, and none of them could prevail against me with the powers of darkness. So when I stand today and boast, I know where I'm talking. Hey, I know where I'm talking from. I know where I'm talking from. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, when I killed my lion and my bear, nobody was there. And I killed many bears and many lions. Nobody was there. Hallelujah. God wants fruit from your life. In fact, you will not even fully understand that fruit until you begin to bear it. It's okay. This is what God had in mind. This is the story that God is telling through my vessel. In my case, he needed a teacher. A teacher for Africa. That will educate people in his ways educate people in his statutes and in his commandment in an uncompromising and undiluted manner. In order for me to be able to handle the word of God the way he wants me to handle it, he put me in the face of all types of temptation. You know, you want to preach truth, you want to be a carrier of verity and truth, first of all, your life will reveal that you have a conviction. It's not going to theological school and learning soteriology. Hallelujah. No. Even though it's good to learn soteriology. But you see, your knowledge of it doesn't confer the reality of it on your life. You still with me? So. Fruit. That's the matter. So that's the first point. The first thing, the first meaning of he take it away is that he has a means of reallocating grace. And if grace is no longer coming to your quarters, what will happen is that 
you will begin to wither. What they used to know you for, you no longer have the capacity to produce those results. You know, I told you about a preacher, and I don't want to mention the name because he is one of our fathers. No matter how you look at it, in Pentecostal Christianity in Nigeria, oh my God, even though he's still alive and he's no longer that relevant, but we cannot take away the fact that he is one of our fathers. And the person I'm talking about is from Eastern Nigeria. Does it make any sense to you? Okay. So, that's the person I'm talking about. That man, that man, apart from Idahosa, was the first man that could feel Surulere Stadium. One day I was about to board a bus. You know the Lord confined me to buses for seven years in Lagos. I was about to board the bus. Then I saw his signboard. So I, I came down from the bus. The conductor insulted me and said, you damn Boroba. But that was not my problem. Uh, I, I saw his signboard at the junction in Orile. What? That was when I knew he was still alive. But the fruit he bore before, he could no longer be again. I saw him after many years. He came back on television. He tried to say those old things he used to say. But the grace that produced those results was no longer in his custody. It had been reassigned. May you, may the Lord not have need to reassign the grace that he originally intended for your life in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I know most of you don't know, know Lagos, and that's why I'm calling the name of the street so that you know that it's not, I'm not just trying to create um, a parable. It is his real life. I wanted to board the bus and I saw that signboard. What? This man is still alive. And I hear he's no longer well, but he's still alive now. But that man shook Nigeria. He shook Nigeria with the power of the gospel. But it was reassigned. It was reassigned. The next time we saw someone that had the capacity to fill the stadium, it was someone else. But it was the same grace, the same mantle. Hallelujah. Yes, so that's the first meaning, it reassigns grace. What's the second? Do you have any other or any additional input to make before I go into today's lecture? Yes? Or is that all? No, that's not all. But apart from reassigning grace, mm -hmm. he, just like what he said, the favor that goes with the assignments is also taken away. The opportunities are taken away. Now, can you, are you there? There's a, there's a favor, there's an intensity that accompanies fresh grace that intensity will be missing. Do you know that because you are a carrier of fresh grace, you will have open doors and opportunities? Now, it's just that um, we just got back today. We just got back today from the mission field, and uh, Philip had to release him so that he has one important matter to attend to. That's why he's not here. If not, I would have asked him to come and speak into the microphone and give us an idea of 
how many invitations we have received for next year. If I'm to respond to all those invitations, then you people need to dig a grave at the back. <laughs> it's my cops that will bring back. You just conduct a service. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm talking about? It is beyond the possibility of coverage. It is beyond. Are you, are you still with me? The, it's beyond it. Positive possibility of coverage. Beyond that, many more times than we can imagine. But the grace does such things. Are you with me? We just went to the airport and, okay, just to get our um, boarding passes so that we can come back with the plane. And then we were on queue. And uh, Right there on queue, we, the queue was changed because people will come say, pastors will come, they will collect my number. But they don't know that the fact that you collect the number, I, will, I can't lie that it's not my number. You say, but it will not, <coughs> it will not translate necessarily. <laughs> May the Lord give you understanding. <laughs> The moment, the moment, yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming. The moment that grace becomes functional, it's developed to a point where it becomes a weapon in God's hands. Opportunities are going to abound beyond your imagining. And that's why we teach young ministers, don't look for money. Don't look for it. The true kingdom order is that if you are in the purpose of God, money will look for you. That's the true description of prosperity. If are you there? And I'm not saying I'm, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that we don't have business people in our midst that are anointed by God to do business and to make profit. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you are called into ministry, do not run after money. The accurate orientation, the accurate way it's supposed to be is that when you are plugged in, money will run after you. And know this, the money that runs after you is not necessarily for you. Because after four million enters your account over the weekend, God will allow you sleep. Then on Monday morning, you'll come and say, okay, do you know that this sister is in this problem? Send her 100,000. That brother that is in the university, send him. Send him. Send. By the time you are done, what will be there will be 540,000. That will be enough for you to pay your children's school fees. And everybody will go back to school. Everybody will be happy. Are you there? Then he sends another one. You see, when you begin to have more money than you can use, it means God is calling you into stewardship in the area of finances. That thing should not be called prosperity, it should be called stewardship. Because if we call it prosperity, normally the, the psyche of the average believer sees it as, as a self-centered initiative. I'm prospering. No, it's responsibility. You don't need more clothes. So the money is not coming so that you can change your wardrobe. No, not necessarily. Are you there? But it comes for stewardship. There are things that God will have you invested in. 
don't run after money. It is more dignified for money to run after you. And especially, are you? I hope you know the kind of messages I preach. Except God touches people, they won't give me. Yes, because I came to a, <laughs> imagine, oh my God. Sometimes I wonder, at my, was I the one that preached this? Because I can't understand that all year. I can't understand it. The spirit of witness that is upon me, just like it was on Elijah. You will not give offering to Elijah. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's the same kind of grace that is upon my life. Except God touches people, nobody will give me. So I know that it's an act of God when people give to me, and I want to know why God is channeling resources around my life. It is only when we get to heaven that the full inventory of people that were impacted through my life financially will be captured. Only when we get there. Are you still there? All right. Shala says he has a question. Can you turn the mic, please, Pastor Ken? Um, can we give? No, not that type. The way you clap for him is just two. Bam, bam. Good. Yeah, so, Shala, what's your. What's we, your... we understand perfectly what the taking away is as you are teaching. Okay. So, what the balance within the scripture that says. I am coming it's, there. Why are you? Why are you running? Okay. Oh, okay. You want to balance it? No. Okay. Okay. Where's the ah, thank you. The, thank you. I have the, the opportunity now. And the callings of you know this is this is a scripture in the Bible. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. So they are challenging me and saying that. Ah, no, wait. They are challenging me. It, to challenge like this is scriptural. Um, you must understand it. I, because I, I may be wrong, and when they challenge like this, I will not find the accurate position. No, none of us are taught the Bible. Yes. In, okay. We were doing ministers' conference in one, in one nation in South Africa, and I told them that the only reason why we answer questions is that we agree that I don't know everything. So it is possible for me to tell you that this one, I don't know the answer. Do we agree? Be, all right? So the ministers were confused. What kind of is the truth? I'm not the custodian of all knowledge. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible, and the Bible has many writers. Exactly. But one thing about the Bible is that it's not capable of private interpretation. And I will explain what that means. Because we have one author and many writers. Any statement you want to make and claim that it is God's thoughts, it must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If that scripture you are interpreting only, is only born as witness by one scripture, it is not in God's thoughts. That's not what God meant by that scripture. Are you there? Because it is private from other scriptures. It doesn't carry the same witness as other scriptures, the way you are interpreting it, it means that interpretation is wrong because every statute of God will have two or three witnesses to support it. Do you get that? Are you with me on that? So you understand now what I say when a pastor rose up and say they were in one accord, you will have your Honda accord. You see, 
That man, are you there? You are not following me. You are not following. That, <laughs> that's a private interpretation. We cannot find support from other scriptures that the Bible can be used like that. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Oh, you are laughing. You are laughing because you don't know that in the past 21 years, senior ministers of the gospel have violated scripture that way for 21 years. I don't have time for trouble. Or I can do this offline. Any day we come and say, okay, I want to show you error and balance. It will be offline. I will show you 16 things that they teach in the Nigerian church that came from the pit of hell. And I tell you this as a scholar that I've been around. Yes. My area is, my part of my calling is in the area of doctrine. So these matters are within my own, my own court, my own field. And I've studied on those matters. Now, the gifts and the callings of God, the Bible says they are without repentance. So, I know it's your wife that gave you that scripture. So let Tonya... <laughs> Okay. All right. All right, all right, all right. What we normally interpret that scripture to mean is that when God calls you, he doesn't change his mind about the calling. When God anoints you, he doesn't withdraw the anointing. When God um, releases grace on your life, he doesn't withdraw the grace. You are wrong. Should I show you why you are wrong? Good. How many of you still remember Samson? That God took the spirit he gave us, he took it. Is that true? Is it in your Bible? That Samson did not know that the spirit of God had left him. Now let me put it this way. Let me interpret that scripture this way. I can even show you from the New Testament because Titus and John Mark, they were undergoing apostolic discipleship. And then there was a challenge. And it was obvious that John Mark was not willing to suffer in order to achieve the goals of the mission. So Apostle Paul got angry. Him and Barnabas quarreled about John Mark. That was where Barnabas took John Mark. Paul took Silas. Many years later, when Paul was old, he asked that John Mark be brought to him because he's profitable for the ministry. You would think that Paul repented from his original battle. That was what you interpret the scripture to mean. Until you click on the word ministry and read it from the Greek. Then you will see the word there is diaconate. Do you still remember that the first level of service in the body of Christ is the level of serving tables, administrative things, and usher um, tell me now, mention the name of the departments. Sanctuary, protocol, 
sanctuary keepers. Do you understand that? That's, that's the level of the diaconate. That's where they will admit you first before you grow to become an elder. When you become an elder, they now give you responsibilities that have to do with people. And before you become an elder, the Bible requires that you must be flawless in character. Because when you begin to oversee people, it is easy for you to take advantage of them. If there is a millionaire among them, it is possible for you to be going close to the millionaire because of the advantages. So you must have been delivered from all those kind of fleshly instincts. If there's a fine lady that is part of your home cell, anytime you are laying hands, you it's the your hand we we come on. Aiko Salaboro Mahasia. Now you will you will see a lot of a lot of strange things will happen when someone comes into overseeing souls and is not yet flawless in character. Are you there? So you need to be flawless in character to become an elder. And then it's from the pool of elders, those that are called into the fivefold ministry, that's where they are separated and ordained. So the designation of any ordained minister is fundamentally an elder. It means he has the, fulfilled the requirement to oversee souls. Did you get that? But when Paul says, bring John Mark back, he was to be brought back for diaconate to become an usher. That means his apostolic calling that they were discipling him to become. He never became an apostle. That's number one. No. Are you still following me? Number two. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. When you hear that God has a calling. A calling. A demand. Hmm? Just like God had a demand on us. He said to me that there's an offering that they used to give him in Benway. Which was in form of a crusade that has stopped. That I must ensure that that offering resumes. And this time it should, it should resume in the name called Festival of Glory. You are my witnesses. 10 to 15 years before we did the first edition, you were aware of what God said. Are you there? Now, in that case, what happened? God was still demanding the crusade, but the people that He used to begin the crusade now was different from the first people. So, the demands of God are constant, but the vessels He can use can change. Don't, don't fool yourself and think that because you are carrying grace today, you will carry it tomorrow. Don't fool yourself and hide behind that scripture. When Samson lost grace, when there were people ordained for bright callings that never saw its manifestation. Are you hearing me? Then number three. Number three. How many of you have come to the book of Acts of the Apostle chapter 2? I want to read a scripture to us. Acts chapter 1, sorry. 
verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs to have been fulfilled which the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost spake by the mouth of David before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem in so much as that field is called in their proper tongue Akaldema, that is to say the field of blood. Verse 20 is my emphasis, please. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Now, you didn't. Can we read that scripture together? Huh? For one, two, go. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Now, listen to me. If you see that scripture, you will find two things I want your eyes to be open to see. The first thing that your eyes must be open to see is that there was an aspect of his life that could not be replaced. How many of you have ever been teachers before like me? And there is something called a dozier. Have you... Have you a um, what's it called? Attendance register. So you you mark the register in the morning, then you mark in the evening. Teachers know what I'm talking about. In the morning you mark like this, then in the evening you mark like this. Are you there? So if the person is absent in the morning, it is zero. Like this, absent in the evening, it is zero. You know the meaning of that zero zero. The meaning that someone was supposed to be here, but he wasn't here. And his place could not be given to any other person. Are you there? So we mark it zero, zero. This man we are talking about, he had a place in the habitations of eternity. But now he was going to be absent from that place. Nobody can take that place. It was meant for him. It was created for him. It was designed for him. And now that he's not there, it is what? Zero, zero. It means he was supposed to be here. Are you there? But there's another matter. His bishopric. Another man can take the place. But his habitation, no man can take. It will be vacant. And anytime you pass there, you say, ah, somebody was supposed to be should I tell you something? Your bishopric, another man can take it. Let me, let me stop there. Now, before we get lost in talking, I need to show you the scripture for the night so that you will know that I've come back from my journey.
every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he take it away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. My concern is the word purge. And I want you to understand that if we are going to be accurate Bible teachers, we will need to be consulting the original language again and again. So I'm going to be bothering you with Greek and Hebrew because it is in those languages that God preserved his truth. So we need to visit it again. Just like you hear in scripture, forever, O Lord, thy world is settled in heaven. Huh? Have you heard? Have you heard that? Okay. So there's a language in which God's truth was preserved, which is the original languages, and we will need to make reference to them again and again in order for us to know the original intent of communication that is captured in that verse. I know your English Bible reads, every branch that beareth fruit, he purged it. When I read the original language, it is a bit different from that. So meanwhile, Shala, if God says he wants an evangelist from the Uka family, and he is looking at you to, to do it, if you refuse to do it, he will still get an evangelist from the Uka family. So his calling is without repentance. He must get an evangelist from the Uka family. But it may not be you. God wants to write a book, I assure you he will, he will write it. But the, the thing is, he, he, he may not write it with you. Even though you were on the list, but the first person on the list to write the book, you refuse to bear that fruit. That fruit must be born. He will reallocate the grace to someone else that will write the book. So if God says he wants a book, he will get a book. But the men that will be used to get the book can change. Let his habitation be desolate. Let no man dwell therein, but his bishopric, let another man take. May no man take your bishopric in the name of Jesus. So God is talking about gifts and callings in a more broader sense than your own calling. A more broader sense than as it applies to you. He says, all right, I'm going to get an evangelist. The way I'm going to defeat the demons of Benue State is that I will raise seven evangelists. You know what? He will get seven evangelists. But it may not be the initial seven that he chose. Those ones can, can drift away and get involved with money and women. And get into politics and desecrate the calling. He will still be looking for his seven evangelists. So whenever you hear in the Old Testament, Thus saith the Lord. You know what it means? It means he said it before and he's still saying it now. Thus saith the Lord. It means even till now he's saying it. Exactly. So I don't want us to see God from a restricted perspective, from a restrained perspective. He cannot be restricted. He cannot be restrained. My own belief will not stop him. 
my unwillingness will not stop you. My, 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 there's nothing I can do to stop his agenda. What God set out to accomplish, he will accomplish. And that is evident in the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, we won. Yeah, we have, he has spoken about the end. That nothing will change anything. Whether I serve him or not, it will not change the outcome that he has in mind. It's just that the men are likely to change. Don't, don't use that your misinterpretation to provide security for yourself in the midst of rebellion. Saying that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. You, you will be shaved like Samson. God forbid in the name of Jesus. <laughs> okay, stay with me, stay with me. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth that it may bring forth more fruit. The word, the word used for purge, purge, purge. Mm, that word is found on the pilot number G2508. That's what I was studying when you came to intercept me. <laughs> Kataros. Kataros. Kataros is not just purge. You know what Kataros means? It means clean. Clean. So God will clean a branch that is fruitful so that it can bear much fruit. Now, go to the next verse to confirm this, my clean. He said, you are now clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. There is a process of pruning and purging that God initiates in order to make you more fruitful. And that process is going to be occasioned by the word of God cleaning you. Give me time and I will explain this. If I do, if I don't have the time to explain in detail this evening, I will continue tomorrow. You know, are you, de- are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Okay. He said, he wants to clean it. He's going to clean it. And if I get you cleaned, you are going to be more fruitful. But the kind of cleaning we're talking about is the cleaning that comes through the word of God. Somebody give me John chapter 17, verse 17. Let's talk about this cleaning. This cleaning is what God does in order for him to have fruitfulness on another level. When God sees that you are fruitful and you are faithful, then he organizes on how to clean you. He says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word. Is through the, the purging, the purging element that God uses in order to trigger higher levels of fruitfulness through your life is the cleaning that comes through the Word of God. And you see, and this is my lesson for the evening how the Word of God cleans us and pedestals us for greater levels of fruitfulness. It cleans. All right, let me show you another instance before I begin to um, explain. Ephesians chapter 5. 
Ephesians chapter 5, we'll begin from verse 22, so that we'll read within context, but 26 is my verse of interest. We are still talking about the cleaning, the cleaning that God does in order for him to achieve greater dimensions of fruitfulness. That kind of cleaning, there's so many instruments that God uses to clean. He can achieve purging through fire. He can achieve sanctification through anointing. He can, and all of that. So, but this one we are talking about here can only be achieved by the word of God. The word of God. The word of God. Stay with me. He said, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's what I want to explain today. The washing of water. <laughs> the washing of water that comes by the word of God. The washing of water that comes by the word of God. Now, you know, I have a young disciple in the United Kingdom. Very young, but very intelligent young woman. And the other day, she sent me a message. And she said, she doesn't believe that there are any good men on earth. And then she has a catalog of stories to tell about her own biological dad and other men that came into her space and the ex terrible experiences she had. And she was convinced about this, her philosophy with deep conviction. So I said, all right, all right, no problem. The first thing is this, your experiences do not have the same authority as the word of God. Meanwhile, as long as she is convinced that men are bad, all the men she will meet in her life will become bad. Because if God is true, every man will be a liar. But if men are true, even God can become a liar. It's relative. Depends on your reference point. So I was now challenging her with the word so that the word can reveal that that her philosophy is lacking in vital foundation in the locus of God. And normally when I want to challenge people's philosophy, I normally request, can you just support this, your idea with one scripture? So she discovered that she was making her experience a doctrine. 
And it is only when you come in confrontation with the word of God that the doctrines that you have accepted because of experiences that you had will lose their authority over your soul. The Bible speaks about the washing of water. It will not happen instantly. How many of you have tried, you, you ate all cross soup and you wanted to wash with water? Have you tried that before? You will notice that you might need one or two washes to get all the okra out. It's not just the first contact with water that undoes the influence of the okra on your hand. You will need to go for, even if you are using soap, you might need to go for a second rinse or a second wash in order to get perfect clean. It's something that is a process. You see, when the word of God is working in your life and bringing about a renewal of mind, it is such a slow organic process that you don't even know at what point you are fully clean. And if Satan is able to puncture your philosophy like that, what is going to happen to you is that you will not be able to maximize your potential. Because there are harbingers of darkness built on these philosophies that are in your soul. And Satan will have the opportunity to be able to regulate you by reason of the lies that you have accepted and you have given those lies the same authority that the word of God has in your life. So the Bible speaks about a washing of water. I was not like this. But I kept on with the process in the washing of what, even your faith life. Are you still with me? It might be impossible for you to exercise faith. It might. I have been there before. When these clogs of deadly philosophy choke your soul out your experiences will be so exalted that you cannot see through the prism of the experiences you have had and you will not know that you are in a cell a prison cell and your mind is the point through which Satan has launched his initiative of captivity over your life. Hallelujah. It's going to affect your outcome. It's going to affect your performance. Notice I've told you before that if you lose in your soul, you will lose on the ground. And if you win in your soul, you will win on the ground. Our abilities to exercise faith is on different levels and that is dependent on how much of the washing of water has taken place in your life. So the Bible says that God has a scheme. That is the way we should build our wives. He gave us an example on how we should build the confidence of our wives. Or how we should disciple them through the utterances, encourage them perpetually through the utterances of our lips until they are able to exercise faith to come into full capacity. He uses Jesus' example, how he deals with his church. And he always provides word. Words that are inspired by his spirit. Those words need to be traveling with spirit potency because of the demonic root behind some philosophies that we are picked on. 
Your first relationship, when you were close to marriage, the man took off like a tornado and it was on Facebook, you noticed he had married last Saturday. And it happened three times. You now saw the third man that you wanted to go, you were making plans and then you saw him in, in France. You know that? What's the name of that? Huh? I, I, okay, that tower in France. They were standing in front of it, they had married. Then you come up with a postulation. That maybe marriage is not for me. Ah, Satan was the one that gave you that doctrine. And as long as you accept it, okay, sister, you accepted that. <laughs> you see, <laughs> there's a sister here that has accepted such a doctrine. <laughs> it, it just becomes. So God begins to inject His rhema. It is spirit induced. It is spirit energized. It is spirit potent. And it travels into your heart to dislodge strongholds that the enemy has built to keep you in perpetual slavery. You see, when Satan builds a stronghold on your heart, he doesn't need to fight you anymore. You have already accepted his doctrine. So that's where you are. So he will go and deal with other people because you, he is brainwashed you to believe what is a lie. Tell your neighbor that your experience is not is not a doctrine. I know, Pastor Chris. I know, I know how you have suffered under in the hands of pastors all these years, and you are still wondering, looking at me now, say, is he not like them? If I commit now, that's my friend, Pastor Chris. He has suffered. So the reason why he's sitting like that is because he's still he's, he's still judging me as say if I commit now, hey, how? Listen to me. That's not the voice of God. And as long as it's not the voice of God, you'll be bound by it. And various aspects of food bearing in your life is going to be forestalled by those strongholds that Satan. Now the, what I came here for, I came here angry today. What I came here for is so that we can join forces together and fight the things that have been rooted in our minds that have kept us in captivity without barricades, without prison cells. Oh my God. This is how Jesus reads his thoughts of wrinkles and spots. He does it by cleansing it. With the washing of water by the word of God. That's how I'm a very cerebral person. And, and mental analysis and faith don't work together. But the washing, yo, you don't know how cerebral I am. Hey, I, I know the barricades that that analysis as, as brought on the path of my ability to exercise faith. But I kept receiving the washing of water. And now I did not only grow in my faith life, he gave me the gift of faith. I can believe, I can believe strange things. Strange things. Some of you are witnesses. When I told the congregation, this is what we are going to build. It's just that they couldn't tell me that you are mad. Because of respect, they couldn't say I was mad. I 
I saw it. I saw it. It was more real than the blood in my veins. I saw a hospital. I saw a TV station. And I saw the TV station 16 years ago. Today it is running upstairs. I saw it 16 years ago. We even wrote it. It's on, it's on print. Friends, you are going to be brainwashed by the word of God. Yeah. We, we, we choose to be brainwashed. Because it's only that which God has spoken that is reality. The word of God has capacity to reproduce itself to as many as believe. The Bible says, blessed is she that believeth, for there shall be a performance of the things that God has told her. What do you believe? You believe you will not live long? God will perform it. Now can you rise on your feet? Let's just exercise as well. I believe in the word of God. So what God does to a man that he wants to be maximally fruitful is that he brings the washing of water. Who told you you are old? The son is old, but he still burns in prophecy. Malaya. 
Ruma selikede Roko mansala baboria Imaiko besko damalori Yala baboko santele Munde kelia braka solebado Make us clean. Make us clean. Oh, 